Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. morning. Welcome to Horizon West Church. Hey, can you all help me uh, thank Jarian and Shauna for leading us in worship as well as the team. Uh, phenomenal. Uh, Cole, Cole had his own little Jimi Hendrix thing going on on the guitar. I thought that was super cool uh, on, that, on that part. Um, hey, as we, uh, in the month of February, as we uh, share videos celebrating black history, I just want to uh, say that, you know, the last thing that was said in that video actually by Jarian was, was so much the heartbeat of what we want to do is we want to tell the story of God in its fullness, not just parts of it, not just what the history books told us, but to really tell the stories that sometimes have not been centered or have even been hidden or whitewashed. And we want to say, no, 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 these are in many cases godly men and women who not only help to build our country, but are helping to build the church. And not only to celebrate black history, but celebrate black presence in every area of our church, from staff to deacons to worship team. We applaud that, and would you help me thank our black brothers and sisters at Horizon West Church for being part. Well, if you were here last week or you heard or you watched later, you know that was a pretty important Sunday for us as we got to make a a significant announcement that after four years of praying and seeking, we believe that God has led us to the property that will become the future home of Horizon West Church. And and several of you said, okay, I saw the picture, but where is it? So I said, I need a bigger picture. So we got that. So this is a picture of where this property is, 12 acres on Schofield Road. Um, The blue marker there toward the middle, toward the top, that's that property. And that line next to it is the 429 going down to Seidel Road. That blue marker at the bottom is where we are now. Okay, so this is about two and a half miles north and a little west. The, the biggest landmark there is Orange County National. So we envision a day, uh, guys, where you could go golfing in the morning and then just walk over to church at 11 o'clock, and that's going to be a fantastic day. But we're asking, would you just continue to pray? Would you continue to ask God to go before us like we sang in the song and to provide for us a place that we can for not only this generation, but for our grandchildren's grandchildren's generation be a place where the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed and where transformation is happening in our community. Well, last week I told you to to stay up to date with that, to text I'm in to 40777, and my team went, hey, Chris, that doesn't work right now. And and so if you got an error message, I apologize, 100% my fault. We've fixed it and corrected it. And so now if you would like to stay up to date, text I'm in to 40777, and you can do it uh, by, by doing just that. Well, today we're beginning a, a new series. Uh, we're calling this series, We Are. And after this week, we're mostly going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. But today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. If you have a Bible or a Bible app and want to go there, that's where we're going to spend most of the day. And today, we want to talk about this, that as Christians, we are followers of Jesus, We are followers of Jesus. The First Orlando Horizon West Church mission statement, very simply, is this. We exist to follow Jesus and to lead others to do the same. 
I remember being in the room where that mission statement was crafted and, you know, it was like a whole bunch of pastors with, you know, theology degrees. And so all these big words were being thrown around and then somebody said, hey, shouldn't it just be to follow Jesus and help other people to also follow Jesus? And we said, man, that's, that's what it is. And so we, we simplified it. We said, man, we can, we can complicate it in other places, but, but for the mission, it's simply this. We follow Jesus and we lead others also to do the same. Today, I want to give us three characteristics that should mark our lives as followers of Jesus, both individually, and this should also be true for us corporately. And before I get to those three characteristics, let me begin with two premises. Number one, not all who follow are followers. You get that, right? Not not all who follow are followers. This was certainly true in Jesus' day. Some hung around him, but they were unwilling to fully commit, like the rich young ruler who said to Jesus, Thanks, but no thanks. Others played the part, but they eventually turned on Jesus, like Judas Iscariot. And then there were others that you might describe as seekers or explorers. They were hanging around Jesus. They weren't yet followers, like a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night to just figure out who he was and what he was about. And just as there were some who followed but weren't followers then, so it is true today that some who follow are not followers. And Jesus never sought to make somebody feel unwelcomed in his presence. No matter who you were, what your background was, what you had done, even as recently as last night or five minutes ago, people had a natural sense of comfort in the presence of Jesus. And yet what Jesus did was to continually preach truth to the point that those who were uncomfortable with truth eventually became uncomfortable with Jesus. And when people would get to the point of saying, hey, Jesus, I'm out. I'm not down with that part of the teaching. I'm not down with that part of the doctrine. They would leave. Jesus never chased them down. He would just turn back to his true followers and say, what about you? So there were always uh, those who followed but weren't followers. And yet those who hung with Jesus, those who showed themselves to be true followers to a person, had radical life encounters life-changing encounters with Jesus. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus speaks to this very fact. He's talking and arguing, in a sense, with the Pharisees. And then he says this to to his followers. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Those who truly followed had life-changing encounters that brought freedom, like a man named Zacchaeus, a man who had spent his whole life cheating people out of their money, robbing them blind, and then met Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I'm going to give everything back and more. Like a woman named Mary Magdalene who had seven demons inside of her when she met Jesus, and through that transformative experience, she would become the first person to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. Or like a man named Saul, on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians and Jesus shows up and Saul would spend the rest of his life as a man named Paul now, writing letters and building churches and taking trips and proclaiming the gospel and to the point where he ends up in Rome and has his head cut off by the authorities for the gospel. People were radically changed when they encountered Jesus. The challenge for us is that we sometimes want to sort out who's the true followers and who's not, and we kind of divide them up and tell them, you can come, you can't come. And the reality is Jesus didn't do that. Anyone is welcome 
at Horizon West Church. Anyone can walk through the doors. I might say it like this. Jesus told a parable to the disciples. He said, there were some men who worked for a farmer and they went out and planted wheat in the field. And over time, they realized that the enemy of this man had come and planted weeds among the wheat. And they said to the farmer, they said, should we pull the weeds up? Because they're not supposed to be there. And the farmer said, no, leave the weeds among the wheat. Because if you pull up the weeds in your zeal to get things, you know, right and everything be as it should be, you might accidentally pull some wheat up. He said, instead, let it all grow together and at the harvest time, I will come in and I will separate the weeds from the wheat. See, we don't need to have the burden of trying to figure out, is is this one a true follower and this one's not? We look at the fruit and we say everyone's welcome and we preach the truth. That's what we do. Now, there are some who aren't weeds. They're what the Bible would call wolves, and we deal with wolves differently. If someone comes into our midst to mislead us, to to sow seeds of false doctrine, to, to abuse people or manipulate or take advantage, we deal with that strongly and quickly because those are wolves. They're there to disrupt and do damage. And so Jesus says in this you know, challenge of following him and, and some will and some won't and some are and some aren't. And he says, listen, be as shrewd as serpents, but be as innocent as doves. This is hard work. We just know that as followers of Jesus, we want our lives to continually more and more reflect who he is. And we want to look behind us and see that others are coming with us on the journey. So first, not all who follow are followers. And secondly, to follow Jesus means that as Jesus, so I. Peter spoke to this in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you know that name, you know that Simon Peter was one of Jesus' very closest followers. He said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, What credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it if you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now let me make a huge disclaimer so you don't misunderstand what Peter is saying. Some have misused this verse to say to women in abusive relationships, see, if you are beaten and you endure it, God's going to reward you. That is not what God is saying. That is not his heart and that is certainly not the intent of this verse. In fact, if that is going on, would you please let us know so we can help you walk out of that relationship? What Peter is saying is to a group of Christians who are suffering under Roman tyranny that no matter where they go in the empire, they're going to be chased down and imprisoned and their land confiscated and beaten and ridiculed. He's saying, listen, I know you're getting weary. I know your faith is hanging on by a thread, but hang in there because in suffering for the gospel, you're exemplifying what Jesus himself did when he went to the cross. You get that? And Peter says, so when you do this, you're to follow in his steps. In the 1890s, a book was written by that same title. A man named Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. I'm curious, has anybody here read that book? We had a few at the first service, okay? I had that book read to me as a child, which sounds like punishment, but I actually learned a lot from it. It's a very long thick uh, 19th century book, but I learned a lot from it. And one of the things that's kind of the, the main gist of the story of this book is that there is a church and they, as people, start asking the question, what would Jesus do? In my job, in my relationship, in my conversations, in my activities, like what would Jesus do? 
And a hundred years later, after the book was written, somebody decided they could make a whole lot of money by creating these. You might remember these. WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And so they asked the question. I wonder if maybe we could introduce a new acronym, AJSI, as Jesus, so I. What if we lived that way? What if we said, as Jesus suffered for the sake of gospel, I'm willing to do that. As Jesus forgave those who sinned against him, I also will do that. As Jesus loved and served people, even his enemies, so I will do that as a follower of Jesus. Well, Luke chapter 4, we're going to spend the bulk of the rest of our time, gives us a really clear picture, not only of what Jesus would do, but what he came to do. Luke chapter 4 tells the story of Jesus returning to his hometown, and this is what it says in verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Some of you as children remember being exposed to two pictures that had similar uh, look but some differences. You might remember this. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to find seven differences between these two pictures. I'll tell you why in a minute. Go. All right, I'm lying. You get 10 seconds. All right. I, I'll be honest. I stared at this picture for like five minutes and found three, but I'm not terribly observant. So how many of you have found more than three differences between those two pictures? Okay, how many more than four? More than five? More than six? Okay, I think six is the number. And I actually, did you find seven, Millie? Good job, awesome. Out of the mouths of children. You can take that picture down because the rest of you will spend the rest of the, the time looking for those differences. But I, I found a few. Here's why I show you those two pictures. Jesus shows up in Luke 4 and says, here's what you think life's supposed to look like. Here's the kingdom that is. And in this kingdom, the Prisoners are imprisoned, and people are oppressed, and the blind cannot see, and the poor don't have good news spoken to them. That's the kingdom that is. But I came to show you a different kingdom. And in my kingdom, prisoners walk free. The blind begin to see in perfect vision. Those who are poor begin to experience life transformation and good news. Jesus is saying, I came to change the picture from what is to what ought to be. And in doing so, he's inaugurating the kingdom of God. The the message that Jesus reads from in the scroll of Isaiah is from Isaiah chapter 61, and it's what we know of as a messianic prophecy. The, the, The Jewish people knew that Isaiah 61 was pointing to the day when somebody would come to make right what was wronged in the world. And Jesus says, it's fulfilled in me. So we're going to look at three characteristics that mark the life of Jesus and his ministry and should also mark our lives as well. Remember, as Jesus, so I. Number one, 
Jesus' life was marked by the power of God. So much so that when Jesus was in a boat on a stormy sea, he said three words and the storm stopped. Jesus had so much power that he could call the name of dead people and they would walk out of their graves. Jesus, on at least one occasion, threw an entire legion of demons into the water to drown. Jesus was brimming with power. In fact, some people will say, man, if you, if you had to sum up the life of Jesus in one word, what would it be? And some would say grace, and some would say truth, and some would say love, and I would say there's probably no way to do it in one word. But perhaps the word could be power. Power. Whenever Jesus bumped up against something, it shifted, it moved, it changed. There was power in everything he did and in everything he said. That's why Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that the crowds were amazed at Jesus because he spoke as one having authority. The word there that Matthew uses in the Greek is the word exousia. It's this idea of power. That's most often how it's translated. Jesus spoke with power. And the people responded and said, man, the the religious leaders speak these dead, lifeless rules and traditions, and we have no desire to, 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 to do them. Then Jesus comes and preaches an even harder message, but there's power in it. And people responded to it. Unfortunately, Paul, the apostle, would point to a day when there would be many who would claim the name of Christ, claim to be followers of Jesus, but exhibit none of the power that he had. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That is quite a list and it is remarkable in the midst of those kind of adjectives that Paul would say, and oh by the way, they would have an appearance of godliness. Paul, what in the world do you mean? How can people who are unholy and treacherous and self-loving and and lovers of money appear to be godly? Well, it's when they do things like this. I go to church occasionally. I I give to the church a little bit. I I care about my neighbors, sort of. I, I, I try to overcome sin every once in a while. I have the form, but none of the power. This may be, for me, one of the most indicting passages in all of the New Testament because I ask about the church in America, I ask about my own life, could I be guilty of this? That I would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but none of the power that surged through him and from him is evident in my life. Now listen, I am not saying by any stretch that if you struggle with sin or that you sometimes skip church, I sometimes skip church, I just have to let a lot of people know a long time in advance to do that. We all miss Sundays. We, we all skip days of reading scripture or maybe even praying. Like we all miss opportunities. We all sin. It's progress, not perfection. But if there is no progress in your spiritual life, if you can look back on a year ago and three and five and ten and there's no change in your life, there's no power in your life, you might ask the question, am I truly a follower of Jesus? 
He's very clear where this power comes from. In the very opening statement of Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. As Jesus, so I. The spirit of the Lord is on you if you're a follower of Jesus. This is very clear in a lot of places. One is Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read for you Ephesians 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So scripture is clear that the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord, the moment you become a true follower of him, something happens within you. A transaction takes place. The very spirit of the living God, the one who created the world and by his power brought Jesus out of the grave, lives in you. Now before Jesus, the spirit would come on somebody so that they could do some great task, win a battle, run a race, whatever it might be, and then the spirit would depart again. But in Jesus, for the first time in the history of mankind, the Holy Spirit lived as an indwelling presence and everything Jesus did was through the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And when Jesus left, he said, guys, I have a gift for you. The same spirit that lives in me will now come to live in you. And amazing things began to happen. The, the early church was an amazingly powerful group of people. Number two, Christians, followers of Jesus, we should be marked by the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus said the Spirit had anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. That word good news is the Greek word evangelon. And you might hear the, the word evangelism in that. That's what it is. It just means gospel. The, the way that we at Horizon West Church talk about our mission, so following Jesus and leading others to do the same, we say that it will look like this. We believe that if we do that well, if we follow Jesus and lead others, then we will become a diverse community of good friends together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus. By the way, we don't put good news at the end of that statement because it's the least important, but because it's the most important. The goal of all of our efforts is to introduce people to the life-saving power of Jesus that exists in the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And what we want to commit to as a church is that for the next 10 and 100 and 1,000, if God would allow us, years, we'll proclaim the same message of the gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You need to know that it is not simply the job of the pastor or the group's co coordinator or the kids' director or your small group leader or the deacons to share the gospel. Let me ask you this. How many of you came to faith, gave your life to Jesus in a context like this, a, a church service or worship service? How many of you? I know many did. How many of you came to Christ in that way? Okay. It's significantly less than half which means that the rest of you, if you are followers of Jesus, you came to know him because a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody introduced you to him. Somebody shared the good news of the gospel with you and you responded. You go, man, I don't know how to share the gospel. Like, I don't, I don't know how to translate that to somebody else. I'm not good with words. I'm an introvert, whatever it might be. I want to show you a really simple way to share the good news of the gospel with other people. This is called the three circles. I did not create it. 
Um, but you can also find this on the App Store. If you go to Three Circles, this is available there. I have taken through people that have attended Horizon West Church, especially those who are new and, and not yet in the faith. I've literally drawn this out on a napkin in Starbucks and in the French Cafe and other places. The, the gospel is essentially that God had a purpose or a design for us, and it's shown in the garden that we would be in perfect relationship with him and perfect relationship with each other. And yet, like Adam and Eve who, who turned to their own way, Scripture says that all of us have sinned and also gone our own way. And the result of that sin is brokenness. It looks different, but it's all brokenness. Brokenness in relationships, brokenness in our health and our emotional well-being, brokenness in our pride, brokenness in all of the things that break us. And those are all a result of sin. And the gospel call is to Repent and believe. Repentance is uh, simply to turn and change the direction that you're going in. It's saying to people, the way that you're on, the way of sin, is a place that leads to death. And we want to invite people to turn and walk the road of faith that leads to life. To repent and believe the gospel. That Jesus came and died in our place to satisfy the wrath of God. To set us free from our sin. And when we believe the gospel, we begin to uh, recover and pursue God's original design for us. That gradual process of making us right again with each other, just as he has justified us and made us right with him. No, notice, interestingly, that Jesus doesn't just say he came to proclaim the gospel, but that he came to proclaim the good news to the poor. So let's wrestle with this question. Does this mean that Jesus cares less about people who are wealthy? There were some theologians in past centuries who developed this, this framework for understanding the ministry of Jesus, and they used the expression that Jesus had a preference for the poor. And to be honest with you, if you've read the New Testament, you can see where they would come to that conclusion. Because Jesus is just constantly around poor and marginalized and broken people, and they are being celebrated, and they are, they are changing their lives, and they're, they're being shown compassion and yet when he's around people who are wealthy and powerful, like they're, they're turning away from him and there's confrontation and conflict. And so they said, Jesus has a preference for the poor. I would say it like this. Jesus does not have a preference for the poor. Jesus had a preference from the poor. You understand what I'm saying? When we looked at those two pictures and we talk about the kingdom that is and the kingdom that will be, the kingdom that God is creating, what happened is that the people that were on this side, where, where they were marginalized, rejected, oppressed, abused, impoverished, the good news of Jesus to them was good news. The, the message of equity, the message of hope, the message of reconciliation. But for those who found themselves on the opposite side of the picture, they said, I don't really want the picture to change. Because in the picture that is, the kingdom that is, I'm the one with power. I'm the one with control. I'm the one that calls the shots. And so it wasn't that Jesus was only looking for people of a certain financial class. The reality is that the only people that responded to Jesus were people that recognized their need of him. Number three, the last marker that we're going to look at today of a follower of Jesus. Number three is the presence of transformational grace. I read it a few moments ago, but let me refresh us. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
As I said before, everyone who encountered Jesus went away changed. But some people were changed for the better because they responded in faith. Others were changed for the worse because they responded in unbelief and they hardened their hearts. In fact, some of those who encountered Jesus ended up shouting, crucify, crucify. But it made a difference for everyone. No one could encounter Jesus and go on with life as it had always been. In the context of Luke 4, Jesus says the the way this is going to change is that prisoners are going to go free. The oppressed are going to be liberated. In other words, it will be the failures who find favor in God's kingdom. And the problem for some of us is we've never come to the place of recognizing our need of Jesus. We're still trying to manage with a relative amount of wealth and success and prosperity. And until you come to that breaking point, you'll never receive Jesus. The word that Jesus uses there, favor, is what we often call grace. And there are a lot of misconceptions around grace, so let me at least say this. Grace is not the freedom to sin. Grace is freedom from sin. See, some of you have believed this idea that that all that grace does is it forgives your past. That's not all that grace does. What grace does is it transforms your future along the way. See, the gospel is better than some of you might have believed. The gospel is not just that God forgives you, says I'm not going to hold it against you, but then leaves you where you are. The gospel is better than that. The gospel forgives you and then it begins to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. So in John chapter 8, a, a woman is caught in the act of adultery. She's thrown at the feet of Jesus. She deserves to die according to the law, but oh, by the way, so does the man and he's not in the picture. And Jesus says, woman, I don't condemn you. Remember what he says next? Now go and sin no more or leave your life of sin. See, part of Jesus' non-condemning message of grace is hope for the future. When I learned this, I began to experience more of the abundant life. When grace became for me not not something that, that, you know, takes away the bad of my past, but began to change my present and my future, I began to lean in to all that God had for me through transformative or transformational grace. I want to share some examples as we close of ways that we are as a church seeking to bring transformational grace to our community. This list will not include the dozens or hundreds or perhaps thousands of ways that you as individuals are also bringing the grace of Jesus into your neighborhoods and workplaces and spheres of influence. But here's a few ways that we're doing it as a church. We have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery that meets every Monday night, every Monday night at our Oasis campus. And at Celebrate Recovery, men and women are finding hope and healing, dealing with things that have been done to them and things they're taking responsibility for themselves and walking out of bondage and into freedom. We have something called Care Portal where families in need in our community can text and make us aware of the need for diapers or clothes or food and we are able to meet those needs so that these families can remain together and not fall into the system. The Karshima family, William and Shiloh, who for eight years faithfully pastored Oasis Church before our two congregations, Oasis and Horizon West, merged last April. William and Shiloh in January packed up the family and moved to Nigeria to do marketplace missions, to show people that the gospel changes even the way we work, even the way we think about career, to show that that business people can have integrity and that when you follow Jesus, it brings good to the world. 
Last semester, we started the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the founding chapter here at Horizon High School. And last Wednesday, 87 students showed up. And student, yeah, it was incredible. Our student ministry coordinator, Edwin Batero, shared the gospel message there. And every week for at least the last six weeks, there's been more people than there was the week before. God is at work there. And right now, right now, as I'm speaking, there are 13 elementary school students in our kids' area who are learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Man. And some of those kids in a few weeks will take the step of being baptized. Transformational grace. Change. Making a difference. Because as Jesus came to do it, so he has now entrusted the mission to us. And we say, God, we'll go. Where you have us, where you send us, we will go and bring the transformational message of the gospel to it. Would you pray for us as a church? Because we're looking for new ways to do these very same things. We know that there are people coming from Venezuela and Colombia and Brazil, and some of them are emigrating here and starting over. They have no idea what resources they have access to, and we're going, God, how can we as a church come alongside them? We know there are increasing numbers of marriages that are falling apart. There are, are women who are in toxic relationships and need help and support. And we're saying, God, would you allow us opportunity to come alongside these women? The work is too great for us unless you show up. Give us the wisdom. Give us the power. Give us the opportunity. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song called Build My Life. And if you would make this song the prayer of your heart, I want to invite you to do something. We're going to have some team leaders toward the front, and they would like to receive you just simply to pray over you. This isn't necessarily an altar call. This is just you go, man, Chris, I'm going through some things. I need prayer. We want to make this as easy as possible for you. Patrick and Barbara, you guys can go ahead and start making your way down or send somebody. But it may be that some of you go, man, Chris, I, I don't, I've been kind of following I've been hanging around. I'm not sure I'm truly a follower of Jesus. I've not had that, that life change moment where I've turned from my sin and embraced Jesus. And we'd love to help you and walk you through that as well. And so if that's you, you come. If you need prayer, you come as we sing. Team, would you lead us? Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.